0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100Bogart.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network.
0: Oh the way you took it so slow.
3: And hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and it is a gray, gloomy, miserable Sunday in January today. That is to say, it is the perfect day for one type of food, which is noodle soup. Although I think my guest today would disagree. He would probably say that any day is a good day for noodle soup. Um, that is because he just wrote a book called Noodle Soup, <clears throat> Recipes, Techniques, and Obsession, with over 100 recipes. And I have to say, this is not your fluffy coffee table cookbook. This is a serious scholarly, uh, scholarly uh, um, ode to noodle soup in all its historical uh Iterations and modern-day adaptations throughout the world. And it is written by the Professor of History and Food Studies at University of Pacific. He's also the author of two other food history books. And uh, it is my personal noodle soup muse, Ken Albala. How are you?
4: Hi. Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks so much for joining us, and congrats on this book. It is such an amazing book. And uh, I got to wonder, though... What noodle soup did you make so far today?
4: You know, I didn't. Um, okay. I know I'm it's here over. I'm planning on making in... one tonight. Um, okay. I bought a, bought a few pounds of, of cherry stone clams, and I was thinking, you mm-hmm. know how nicely clams go with linguine, or like on a white clam pizza, if you know New Haven? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that would make an interesting soup with some clam juice and cream and, you know, mm-hmm. shell the clams and then put some fresh noodles in it. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do tonight.
3: That is a great idea. Um, so you're over in the West Coast, so I, I don't blame you for not having <laughs> made one already. But um, yeah, so this book is uh, your latest and it really dives into the history, which I can't wait to talk a little bit more about um, with regards to noodle soup. But just to get started, why and when did you get obsessed with noodle soup?
4: Well, it was actually a mistake i didn't uh, I never sat down and said i'm going to write a book on noodle soup uh-huh. and plan that." Um, I was actually teaching a class at uh, Boston University, and they gave me a really nice apartment and it had no utensils <laughs> at all, no not even a pot, not a, not a fork yeah, and so stinks. I just happened to have walked down the street um, right on Commonwealth Avenue and bought a little little pot and some ramen like instant ramen out of a package and I don't know why i've never tasted it before. I mean I must have tasted it I just not. It was the thing I ate it, yeah. regularly, and it was really nice for breakfast. So I, um, you know, sort of bought some extra vegetables and then, um, you know, threw some shrimp in and whatever. And, and I just sort of got hooked on eating that for breakfast and maybe was doing it a month or so and thought, you know, I can make the noodles by hand and I can use fresh, I can make the stock and I can do all this stuff. And without realizing it, I'd already begun to collect recipes, and maybe I think I did it for about two, maybe two and a half years, wow. and then just the book wrote itself. You know, it was was simple after that.
3: That that is quite sort of the best accidents. You know, happen in the kitchen. I think uh, <laughs> absolutely inspirations. Um, so most people think of noodle soup as uh, more of an East Asian. Food tradition, but you cover the globe. Um, there's Slovakian pulled noodles, and you've traced the history of noodle soup and to, to try to pinpoint its exact origins, which are not exactly um, something you can pinpoint. It seems. No, there's,
4: I mean, they, there are the oldest noodle soup is found in China, um, which dates back about 4,000 years, but it's made of millet. Mm-hmm. So there are really, really old. Asian soups There's, uh, with noodles. There's also a lot of Middle Eastern ones, things that are like noodles. Um, sometimes they're fried, but, uh, you know, I think wherever you have wheat, basically, you're mm-hmm. going to have people figure out that you can grind it, add water, and then dump it into, into a soup. Um, so, so I do cover most places that have, that have soups, but there surprisingly are places that don't have them, or, or there are not, not many forms. Um, India, surprisingly, which has wheat from a very early time, there aren't many noodle soups there. And huh. my guess... Um, and I was just having this discussion with a with a colleague um, I, My guess is that where places where you eat with your hands, noodle soup just becomes impossible because <laughs> you, know, you 'd have to stick your hand into the hot soup or you know or sip it or try and you know slurp the noodles slurp. out. It would just be impossible. So I think the solution for at least for Asia obviously was to use chopsticks, mm-hmm. and in the West it was um, a fork you know or Ooh. spoon you know using two utensils right. um, and the other interesting thing is where you do have those. Utensils, Uh, like in Italy, for example, you almost never have um, long strands of noodles in a soup. It's usually very short ones that you can pick up with a spoon. You know, like Italian noodle soups usually have macaroni in them. Even German ones, you have Spätzle in a soup. It's something you can you can eat with a fork. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually not long strands.
3: So, what came first, the chopsticks or the noodles?
4: Oh, gosh. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Chopsticks are about Han Dynasty China, so um, I don't think there's much evidence long before that. So noodles are older then.
3: (laughs) Wow. So let's talk for a minute about noodle eating skills and etiquette. Uh, (laughs) Eating skills is actually a funny idea for a class. I hope you teach (laughs) someday skills and strategies. That would be great. (laughs) That would
4: really be great. Uh, Well, slurping, of course. You know, in in, uh, Asia, it's considered polite but i think, think there's so. a logic to it you actually are aerating the noodles um and soup and cooling them down just a little bit but you're also sending the aromas up into the back of your olfactory organs uh, above your palate so it you it tastes better when you slurp i mean it's true of wine obviously you know when you mm-hmm. swirl the wine around and aerate it and then slurp you're you're bringing it in, into your whole head and i think exactly the same thing is the case with um with noodles and it was actually very funny i was on a i was in japan uh, a few months ago on a, on a Japanese TV program which was totally bizarre um, learning how to make katsuobushi which incidentally there's a recipe in the cookbook for making it I didn't know how to do it when uh-huh. I wrote that recipe I do now it's it's a lot more complicated and I've made some strange mistakes but um, but the funny thing is that like, like they filmed me eating noodles often and they were like amazed that I was actually slurping it like, like, like <laughs> the Japanese people were like he's doing that like, no one told him to do that it was, it was very amusing
3: is there anything to keep in mind while you're slurping to get the best
4: Yes, don't effect. slurp too hard because you okay. can inhale them. <laughs> you know, yeah. They will literally go right down your lungs, and I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> um, so slurp gently. Okay.
3: And splatter? Can you minimize splatter? Is there any way? Because I have that problem. It is it is really
4: hard, you know, okay. and I have to say, when I started the whole project, I had facial hair, I had a beard, right, right. <laughs> you know, goatee, it's the dumbest thing on it, you just cannot eat noodle soup without getting it in right. your beard, so I shaved, um, and okay. I still, still don't have facial hair as a result of that.
3: <laughs> um, how about the ideal amount to grab? I was actually cracking up reading the part um, where you describe... The one approach, which is to grab a huge tangle of noodles, sort of hold it above your head and tilt your head and try to shove it into your (laughs) mouth. You've
4: seen seen people do that. What's wrong with that? Yeah. um, I guess, you know, many people think you've got to eat the noodle soup very quickly, and I understand that, because if it gets cold, it's just of no interest, and you really want mm-hmm. it to be hot, and I've, and I've seen people, like, you know, if you have chopsticks, you can grab a huge wad and shove mm-hmm. them in your mouth, and I think, you know, you're, you're not tasting it then, you're just in, inhaling it quickly. Right. So I would say, you know, grab a few strands, and enough that you can slurp without it um, filling your whole mouth, you, <laughs> you know?
3: And you want to, like, feel the texture and enjoy that, uh,
1: exactly. the texture of the exactly. noodles.
4: Yeah. yeah, and and I think you know when, you, especially when you have slippery noodles, half the fun is actually like feeling that that slight sliminess yeah. in your mouth. I mean, that's a really interesting texture. I, I don't think Americans in general appreciate slimy things, but um, mm. but I like that.
3: Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about the the fir- some of the first noodles that were discovered in an archaeological dig in China, which mm-hmm. were made of millet. You mentioned, which is wild. Um, What about some of the first, uh, earliest noodle soup evidence in the Western world?
4: Well, again, there's not there's not archaeological evidence. Noodles mm-hmm. usually disappear. <laughs> they're you know they're made of wheat or some other material. Um, the one in China just happened to have been in a bowl that was overturned and then covered in rubble and, uh, in an earthquake or something like that. So, um, and they disappeared the moment that they open. You know, um, took them out. They disintegrated they after took they took photos, a couple of pictures. Right, but yeah. there really aren't um, there aren't comparable noodles in the West, like you might think maybe Pompeii, you know, where there's bread that incinerated and is still in its same form. Um, In Italy, for example, you really don't have noodles until the Middle Ages. And then, you know, they're mentioned in texts and, you know, the um, story that, was really made up at one point uh-huh. uh, that uh, Marco Polo went to China and, and brought back noodles. It's completely fabricated. Really? He says something to the effect of, oh, look, they have pasta just like ours. Okay. And there's, you know, records of noodles in, um, in Italy long before... Marco Polo, but I think that the connection would be with the Arabs mm-hmm. in Sicily. I think that 's probably where it came from, and then mm-hmm. was you know the trade link links from Sicily to genoa and and most of the early noodle recipes in the Middle Ages in Italy um, refer to uh, tria yanuensis or a trilli or tria, some, something like that, which comes from the Arab word Itria, which comes from the Greek word Itria, which goes all the way back so there 's a, a fairly straight line linguistically you uh-huh. know there's no, there's no actual physical evidence there's a couple of recipes here and there but linguistically i think that's where it, it points to so the ancients had something like noodles i think you know you could you could say even the um ancient roman tracta although it's baked it's more like a cracker okay but, you know that thing after it goes in layers into a lagana, which sort of you know the word lasagna comes yes. right from that i was wondering um, about that very very similar to lasagna
3: so you have this quote from the poet horace Who says something in Latin, but you translate it as "I'm going home to my pot of leeks, chickpeas, and noodles"? So,
4: (laughs) yeah. Well, it's again, that's it's not absolutely certain that that's a a noodle that we would recognize as you know like raw dough thrown mm, into boiling water. But I think you know if you had a big pot of soup and you took this long, you know the square cracker-like things and put them into the soup, it's almost a noodle. It's, like, so close. Mm-hmm. Um, and Horace, you know, of course, was trying to um, show the simplicity of the dish, and he, he didn't want fancy nonsense at some, you know, banquet. He wanted absolute r- rustic, homey simplicity. Right. You, you'd find that a lo- in a lot of authors in ancient Rome, juvenile especially.
3: I love this other um, poet. You you have some quotes through literature of noodle soup. So there's this uh, poet in um, China who wrote uh, an ode, or he described a chef in action, the poet Hong Junju. He said, he kneaded the dough to the right consistency. Then he would drop it into the water in long strings, white like autumn silk.
4: Yeah, it's lovely. (laughs) That's
3: really great. Um, All right, so we're going to talk. You have so many different noodle recipes and soup recipes throughout this book from around the world that um, I want to get to, and I really want to learn more about how to make noodles. Um, We're going to cut to a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back.
1: 100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate.
3: All right, we're back chatting more with Ken Albala. He's the author of his latest cookbook, Noodle Soup, Recipes, Techniques, and Obsession. And we're also joining the studio with Greg Bresnitz, host of Snacky Tunes here, here on Heritage. Hi. And he's uh, just hungry listening in. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about these recipes that you have. I didn't realize that so many cultures, I know you mentioned there's some that do not have noodle soup, but for instance, the Netherlands has a Groten balletje.
4: <laughs> That's close. Balet, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it yeah. Just means little balls in Dutch.
3: And it looks like a noodle soup from the picture. It's, it's
4: that cute. is exactly what it is, yeah.
3: Yes. And then there's the Slovakian noodle soup. Um, there's, you have some fun, like, Absurdities too throughout this book.
4: Yeah, I mean, I got to a point where I thought, you know, if something exists on Earth, I can probably make a noodle out of it, mm-hmm. and it turns out that's true. Um, it's kind of it's a strange procedure. I think you know when people put vegetables and things in, into noodles, they usually cook the ve- like you'd spinach. You, you'd cook yeah. the spinach first and squeeze out the oh, water okay. and then add it to the noodle. But the there's really no way to get really really intense spinach flavor. Um, because you just, you, you know, there's so much water in it still that you would have to add a ton of flour to make a noodle out of it. So what I decided to do was to dehydrate vegetables in a, right. you know, shave them very thin or if they're leaves, just dehydrate them, put them in a coffee grinder and then add them. In equal parts to the to flour, and then just add That's eggs to bind it. So you really are getting this intense, intense vegetable, or adding squash, or adding or, um, carrots, or anything, and the colors turn out wonderful. And in fact, I did a whole salad. Uh, you know, I took six salad ingredients: lettuce, tomatoes, um, carrots, cucumber, some some other things, and dehydrated each separately, um, ground them, made them into doughs, and then made a whole salad out of it, (laughs) you know, made noodles, but with the exact same ingredients as a salad, and it looked just and tasted fantastic.
3: Now, what is your take, though, on spiralizing zucchini into, and I hate this word, well, I don't even want to I say it, but zoodles. I mean,
4: not, there's <laughs> nothing inherently wrong with doing that, um, and we actually have a spiralizer in my household. I don't use it very often, but it's there. Um, I just object to you calling it a noodle.
1: Yeah, Greg, you're shaking your like, head. Gonna,
4: you have a noodle, use some starch of some kind, and it should have the texture and flavor of
1: a noodle you
3: know it, it, it seems to just you know it's something else any, it's something else yeah i mean we have words for a reason right so <laughs> it's right, vegetable exactly.
1: what is in a name The noodles in a name but
3: the cool thing ken here is that you explore that there are vegetables like you're saying that you turn into noodles not just by shape though um but you know right, forging yeah. the spinach into the noodle with the dough and so forth
4: Right, and, and you know, I've, the one that really eluded me for many years was artichokes. And mm. I always thought, you know, I'll, I'll just add cooked artichoke to flour, or I will... Um you know, scrape the, the leaves and somehow get that into a noodle. And they were never that good. They just didn't taste, taste right. And it turns out that if you take baby artichokes and you shave them very thin, dehydrate them, ground them, add them, again, equal part to flour, um, you get this intense, intense artichoke flavor. Um, right. That's that's really one of my favorites. That that turned out fabulous. I think the uh, fava beans also are very easy to do, and if you oh. know if you don't have a dehydrator, you can always just put the thing in the oven, a very low oven, and leave it overnight, and it'll dry out fine.
3: Does it help if the the vegetable has more starches to it? So, it doesn't matter. beans? No, not yeah. at all.
4: In fact, I've used um, I've used weeds from the from the backyard. <laughs> <I was> just <laughs> looking through the book and noticed, wait, oh, hey, that's the side of my house with <laughs> weeds growing. Um, but I ate them. Um, I've used, uh, you know, pretty much anything. I've used crickets. That was that was really the only noodle that was terrible. You I would know, do not recommend doing that. I that mean, sounds it like this, a good way to aroma eat crickets, though. That, you know when you walk into a pet store and you have this, like, this musty, weird smell? That's yeah. the crickets. It's just, it's awful.
3: Ooh, I see what you mean. Yeah, but if you can hide that in a noodle soup, I think I, I would still, I would give that yeah, a it try. Yeah, it wasn't
4: good. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> that was okay. the only one that so was, that, was that, really that, disastrous. That I mean, lunch. if you add, you know, if, if you use cricket flour in sweets and with chocolate and things, you don't notice it. But in a noodle, it was really intense.
3: Now, flour is not the only starch that you need for noodles. You have, you know, the, uh, you have purple yam here, there's, um... What's it, mung bean noodles, the glass yeah, noodles? I mean, you can really make
4: a noodle um, out of any starch. So if you go into a gross, uh, like an Asian grocery store and buy tapioca or mung bean or potato starch or um, anything, well, even wheat starch, you basically make a kind of steamed noodle with that. So you, mm-hmm. you would um, either put it in a tray and a steamer. And I don't know why people don't make these at home. They're really, really easy to do. Um, and you steam it, and then you cut it up. Or you can... Um, cook the starch with water in a pan until it becomes a dough, and then extrude it. Like, use your mm-hmm. ricer or use a, a small hand extruder. They're very easy to find. Um, and just just extrude it right into the boiling water, and you get a kind of rice starch noodle, which is, you know, for pho or for, you know, anything. Um but, it, but what's really interesting, and something that I found, figured out after writing this book, of course, that always happens, you know, you're <laughs> still doing it, and then you yeah. realize, oh my gosh, I found this technique. But if you right. take flour, and you knead it a lot, um, you'll build up the gluten strands in it, and then you put it into a bowl of water and continue kneading. What happens is the starch will seep out of it and sink to the bottom of the bowl, and you get these lumps of sort of gummy gluten. It's, it's um, I'm mm. forgetting the name of it in, in Chinese, oh, but basically see, you have these uh, lumps of wheat gluten, and you you fry those, and they're really lovely, chewy, and the texture uh, is very tan. much like chicken. It's really weird. Um, and then you pour off the water, and you've got that starch, so you can actually make a noodle
1: I've just done that. from
4: flour. Yeah,
3: with,
4: you know the starch and and the uh, liang pi, I think is what it's called.
3: Okay, um, but you can have like totally gluten free noodles too, because I see you have like all these ancient grains. You got chestnut flour. You got yes yeah. all. And they have they have a history too. It's not like you're just kind of goofing around here.
4: Well, well, both actually. I'm mm-hmm. I'm okay. Around, <laughs> but, but yeah. The, I mean, chestnuts, um, acorns make a really really lovely flour uh, you can use, make a noodle out of it. 100% acorn. Um, anything that's got like like starch and carbohydrates in it will will um, you know you can make into a noodle. Beans make make really nice noodles also. Mm-hmm. Um, but i also you know was playing around with things that you don't traditionally use in noodles um but you know one i should mention that's really interesting and mm-hmm. i don't think many people realize you can make it at home is um called shirataki which is a noodle made out of a a tuber that has not only no gluten but it has no calories either <laughs> your body can't can't hey. process it so it just <laughs> goes right through you basically
3: and you can make that yourself
4: you can make it on, uh-huh. yeah. You buy this stuff called konjac flour, um, or sometimes it's called glucomannan, oh. and it's a very strange sort of alchemical procedure that I've I outline, um, pretty in detail here, uh, unlike many of the other recipes, which are quick and easy. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's sort of weird, but it, um, yeah. it makes a very beautiful translucent noodle with no flavor whatsoever. That's the only reason I'm not crazy right, about that. Right. Um, but no calories either. <laughs>
3: Well, that's, you know, good for uh, those post-holiday diets right now. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> no flavor, no, no calories. No flavor, trade-off, yeah, yeah. no calories. Um, sounds good to me. But, uh, okay, so you you mentioned a little bit about the balance of getting these sort of traditional recipes and then also goofing around and creating your own. Um, what's your take on, you know, finding authenticity within food and recipes?
4: Ooh, that's a really you, you hard question. You mentioned it's a conundrum you know, these days. The, um, the problem is, of course authenticity is a moving target. You know, uh-huh. what are you talking about? You, you, are you speaking about a very specific time, a particular person, right. or kitchen, or are you talking about the way people do it back in the home country or, you know, something like that? It's, and I when? don't think, I, I'm not pretending to be authentic in anything, you know, uh-huh. and I think a lot of people will, you know, that's what they want, and if you want that, then find someone who comes from that culture and will give you exactly the way they do it. Um, I, I, my approach is really that you should go into the kitchen, have fun, play around and experiment And if you end up adding an ingredient that is not traditional, so what? If it tastes mm-hmm. good, use it. Um, and you know, I, I addressed this question specifically when I uh, in the faux recipe because, if you'll remember, uh, there was a little bit of a scandal yes. um, uh, about bon a, a guy who was not a Vietnamese extraction telling everyone how to eat their. This is right. how you need this to eat like your This is like the end all be all of how to it, make a, fun. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, Vietnamese people got very upset. Who the hell are you to tell us how? To, you know, right. we've been doing this a long time. So I'm, I was very careful to say, you know, this is not authentic. I'm not telling you this is the way anyone does it or this is the way you should do it. This is the way I do it. And, you know, give it a shot. If it tastes good, then fine. You know, enjoy it. Um, So so I'm, I'm not making any pretense to authenticity. And I think that's even the case when I was writing recipes that are based on my own back, you know, my, my grandparents and my background. Um, I said, you know, I don't have any authority over this because of my bloodline. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I don't know any more about it than anyone. I'd had to learn. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think you, you know, when you can speak with authority, I think really comes from experience or from education. You know, if you're learning about something and you've tasted it and, you know, then I think and you can say, here's, here's what it is. You know, And bra- I, I thought mm-hmm. about this also with um, ramen, you know, I went to Japan ate it in a yatai in uh, in Fukuoka. And I thought, you know, that doesn't give me any authority to write the recipe just because I was there and tasted mm-hmm. it so what?
3: But, but I feel like there's another level when you kind of have this vast, okay, you know, amount of information about noodle soup from around the world where you can see everything more in context to um, this category of food rather than like trying to dictate exactly how to make one type that is very traditional to one culture. Um, that's very tricky. I think that's where a lot of, like, you know, emotions get involved.
4: Yeah, and, and I totally understand it. And I understand <laughs> cultural appropriation, and I, you know, certainly... But you know, I, I can see both sides of it, but, but I think the safer thing to do is just say, here's, uh, here's a recipe, uh, make no claims about it, mm-hmm. just enjoy it if you want it.
3: Now, what was hardest to pick up? Uh, was it, may, you have like a lot of techniques for how to hand pull noodles and so forth. Yeah,
4: that's, that's a really hard one. I mean, I would say to this, I've done it a few times um, where I thought, this is, this is okay, it's an okay noodle, you know, a proper pulled lamian, um, where you, you know, stretch the dough and you swing it around and twist it and then pull it again. And, you know, I've seen people who are expert at this and I swear it's got to take a lifetime. It is really, really difficult. So what I decided to do is not try and get people to do that, but actually make a a simpler pulled noodle. Um, One that I do all the time. It just takes time. You have to spend about a half an hour kneading it. Mm -hmm. Um, And contrary to the way you normally would Add flour to a noodle to prevent it from sticking to the board. Here, you add water. You keep adding more water and actually try and get as much water into it as possible. And you've got a really soft, sticky dough. You let it rest for six hours. Uh, sometimes I cut it first and then let it rest and I oil it just so it doesn't uh, stick together. And it's so easy to pull it's just just absolutely simple in fact i'm doing i'm doing a talk in san francisco um next month and i made a challenge that i would pull a noodle around the entire block <laughs> see if i could do that i might need people to hold it up so it doesn't go on the floor but um
1: but, uh, wow we'll see if that group at pull. <laughs> what about the what? uh the micron bowl the smallest noodle yes. oh gosh that, yeah, that, that seems that impossible was, um,
4: just uh, on a whim, I thought, let me see if I can make the smallest noodle a um, possible so I, so I actually threw that bowl. I'm not sure you, uh, it's clear oh in the book that, that all the pottery in there I made also, um, and I took all the pictures. You know, the um, just um, figured out how to do photography basically. Uh, yeah. The so the this book. this bowl but, but is like case, on your finger, The tiniest, tiniest yeah. bowl that fit into my um right on my fingertip. And the noodles themselves, you know, I just got out a magnifying glass and basically used you know, maybe a thimble full of noodle, you know, of dough to, to make the noodles. I also thought, let me see if I can make the largest noodle on earth. And I thought of, you know, <laughs> putting the dough on the driveway, <laughs> rolling what? it out, and, and, ho- and you know, pouring hot water over it to make I it. Know, and I thought this, is, this has gotten to be a little absurd, so I stopped it, there.
3: Okay, yeah. Because how do you then cook it? Because it's not a noodle until it's cooked, right?
4: That's right. Yeah. Um, I was thinking a bathtub full of hot water. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, like okay. scalding hot water and then filling the whole bathtub. And I still think I want to do this as a publicity stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, get someone to actually go in a bathtub filled with noodles. I think that would be really fun. Like, you know, a, a proper soup and then,
3: you know, have human. What about, like, a fringe? Exactly. I can see noodles being, like, a nice fringe for a, a gown or something like that. That could work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I can't wait. So this book just came out, and um, it looks like you're going to have fun with it. Uh, <laughs> any upcoming Definitely. events people can, can check out? Maybe the longest hand pull um, event? Yeah, well, something... this,
4: this will be at Omnivore Books. I think awesome. it is um, the 29th of February, if you're in San right. Francisco. Oh, no, sorry, March 1st.
3: Okay, so you might see a noodle pulled around the block of Omnivore's bookstore. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> um, all right, so I guess that's we're about out of time here. Um, but, Ken, one last thing. What is your sure. favorite absolute right now of the moment noodle soup that uh, maybe we don't know about and we should try?
4: Oh, gosh. I think if you make a a stock of crabs, like like the crab shells and shrimp shells, save them up for a long time, and make a really intense shellfish stock Mm -hmm. and put a rice noodle in it with a little lemon and a ton of cilantro, a hit of sriracha, um, that is just heaven.
3: That (laughs) sounds really good, rice noodles. And so for that light flavor, you can taste all the crabby Nice.
4: Yep, and, and right. crab meat, of course. You know, or sh- whole shrimp, or you, or you chop up the raw shrimp really finely and make little balls out of them, mm. together with a little starch, and just drop them into the soup. That is so good.
3: That sounds like a good one. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully your clam uh, noodles later oh, yeah, on well, I'll post it tonight. this evening it on, on Instagram. <laughs> so you definitely check out um, can people follow you on Twitter um, and uh, sure. Instagram? Sure,
4: yes, I'm on Twitter I'm on Instagram. Uh, most everything I post is on Facebook though.
3: Alright well thanks so much again, Ken. I can't wait to see what fun you have in the aftermath of this book and maybe a sequel. So. Okay,
4: well thanks so much for having me. This was a ball.
3: Alright, thanks Greg.
1: Thanks for having me Kathy.
3: Alright, thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
0: Ooh, I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.